You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. Hope everybody's doing well this morning. Uh, I'm joined alongside Tim here live in Green Bay. My name is Clayton. You can check me out uh, on Twitter at Packers underscore access, also with Packernet.com. Uh, and uh, Tim, man, I see you. You already got the cup up over there, right? I know I'm finishing mine as well. Omar in the chat, he's been in here since 4 a.m. He said, you boys still sleeping after a long day yesterday. said, need the big cup of lots of diesel today, boys. Um, he says, uh, seems you wore out the members too. No one here, but crazy me as always. Omer, you just gotta, you gotta wake up and get after it, man. You gotta get that diesel in you. There it is. That big old redneck mobile. Look at that thing. And I'm telling you, they're all over the South, bro. You got a truck like that where they've got 80, 90, hundred grand in it and parked in front of a single wide trailer. That's just how they roll down here. You know what I'm saying? They know how to invest their money, Tim. That's a uh, welcome to the South. Hey, it's all good, man. I grew up on the north side of Milwaukee, so I'm I'm familiar with seeing Mercedes parked in front of housing projects. So hey, it's all good. Go. Hey, <laughs> whatever, whatever tickles you fancy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We got Nick McSwain in here. We got Boz in here. Andres. We got a bunch of early birds, man. I love it. Dude. Everybody in a good mood too. Carly Ray. Good morning to you. Um, let's see, uh, Nick McSwain. Yeah, like I said in the house. What what Carly say here? Carly Ray, Omer, what reading list are you talking about? I would like to read up on stuff too. So look at them in here sharing, sharing ideas in the chat. That's what it's all about, man. That's what we're here for. Um, guys, we're going to talk a little bit more in extension of what Mike Wall hit on yesterday. It's so funny. Every time I have a conversation with him, it goes in a direction that I don't expect, right? And um, he kind of took it. We took it on the defensive side of the ball, and he was just pretty – pretty upfront and honest about the run defense. And when you ask him, you notice he never said, nah, this coordinator's trash. He never said, oh, this scheme is trash. It was it was about personnel and maybe what they're teaching, right? But we're going to play this quick clip, and then we're going to deep dive into the trenches on the defensive side of the ball. we got a ton of graphics to show you guys and uh, just kind of 
Let's look at it from every angle. Let's look at it from PFF's angle. Let's look at it from the statistical angle. We'll kind of tie everything in together. But here's Mike Walford yesterday. The answer is no. Right. Yeah, it's, and I think that's just the, the hard reality. And what the three four, what the three four yeah, move usually has is a, is a real stud nose tackle. Yep. You know, historically, right. But then they have kind of you know these different bodies: six five, three oh five, three ten, long limb like defensive ends. Or you can have the more stout guy, but guys that are kind of going to give you problems angrily. And then you have some two outside pass rushers that, that you know kind of do damage for you. But the thing that you have to have there, though, is dudes who can get off blocks at the linebacker position. Mm. Ray Lewis goes to a 3 4. He ain't Ray Lewis anymore. Remember when he lost Goose and, yeah. and Sam Adams? For, there was, a, there was a couple of years there where things weren't going as well because he, he don't know how to play in that in, in a place where a guard can just rise up on him. All right. And mm. it's, it doesn't mean his greatness is any diminished. It's just that's that's the name of the game. So right. you have to have the right personnel around these guys to be successful. Again, it goes back to is the three four the right way to go with this team? Right. Given your given it second everything. And I, I just, you know, for me, I just don't know that the answer is yes. I would rather have another athletic linebacker on the field than like a third D tackle right now. Everyone's yeah. talking about we want more D linemen on the field. I'm like, no, nah, I would actually rather have you know, two really, really good penetrating defensive tackles. Yeah. And then supplant that with more kind of super athletic 250 pound dudes. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it kind of, kind of seems like if, uh, if there is a change made this off season on the defensive side of the ball, um, you think there's a chance they switch to four, three. It's been a long time. Hasn't it been a long time? I mean, there's a chance for anything. Listen, I, I, I would say this, if they, if you make whenever whenever I see um, a team make a change and they just hire internally, like you fire the coordinator but you hire the linebackers coach, I'm like, what the hell did you do that? That was a complete waste of time. Yeah. You're not that the linebackers coach might not, might might be deserving, but it's like whether it's for your owner, your fan base, for the people in the locker room, you need to if if you're gonna have that break, it's it's not just the guy. It's kind of it's probably the philosophy and the mesh with the players that you have in the locker room. Take hmm. a hard look at what you need to do, and come up with a conclusion that's probably going to be a little more hand in the ground, four down linemen. If you want to, if you want to run that base defense, it's like it used. Bill Belichick when he's whenever the three four became popular, Bill Belichick was basically doing it because he's like, man, there's all these really unique defensive ends out here that nobody wants yeah. how can i make this work and he started just being able to pick out of the fifth round dudes who were like i mean seymour's a first round guy but you know they picked right. guys third fourth fifth round that were just 10 12 year starters yeah and nobody else wanted them yeah. you know what he said there too tim uh, i remember bill parcells they interviewed bill parcells and you know Bill parcells and bill belichick were attached at the hip for a long time right he was kind of you know uh, Belichick was kind of Parcells' defensive specialist, if you will, his defensive coordinator, his right hand man, all that. And uh, one, you know, they had a falling out. I won't go into that entire story. If you guys haven't seen it, there's a documentary called The Two Bills. Oh my God, it's so good! It's so good. Anyway, um, he said what Bill Belichick has the ability to. He has a, a an inept, a, a unique ability to have this constant pool of players that just fit perfectly what he's looking for, what he's wanting to do. And that, that pool never runs out. And that really is, is kind of expanded the database, if you will, the, the, the base of players that these coaches pull from, because 
you're compiling all that draft information, right? Coming into the draft, you're compiling all the current scouting information. And there's a certain criteria that certain players meet for your scheme, your type of build, your type of player. And his is just never ending, according to Bill Parcells. Now, the game may have passed Belichick by it. It breaks my heart to say that because I'm a big Belichick uh, fan. But, um, you know, you see them struggling right now. I think he's going to end up coaching somewhere else next year. Obviously, if he gets fired, he'll he'll go, he'll go somewhere else and you can get a job immediately. But with all that being said, that's what Mike's kind of talking about there, Tim. What sticks out to you about what he said? And then we'll kind of dive into some of the, the hard numbers here. Did, he, did it trigger a thought as you heard him talking there? I, I, I did. Um, thought of a conversation I had with my buddy Tony over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Tony is a dude who's been preaching this for years. He, he hates the 34. Get out of the 34. It's time. It's been a long time. Make a change. Um, and now to hear Mike Wall kind of provide some concrete information on this and his opinion, I'm, I respect that too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's true. You know, the league has changed. I, um, I think if we do make a change next year, I, I think Mike is correct. You can't, you know, let's say they do get rid of um, Joe Barry. Well, what good does it do to bring someone else up into that spot and then continue to try and run some other version of a, of a quarters concept, you know, out of the 34, why not? If you're going to, if you're going to get rid of your D coordinator, it might be time to get rid of that entire defense and scrap it and let's go. Um, maybe we go back to the four, three. Um, I don't know, but I agree with Mike wall. I think we need more athletic players rather than big dogs down linemen out there. Um, but you know, we're also, you know, here's who we have. Here's the players that we have on this team. You know, we've got a handful of games left this year. Uh, we kind of got to just do what we got to do this year. But, you know, like to see some execution, like to see some guys trending upward, uh, especially on that D line. But um, I think there's some legitimacy to what Mike is saying that, you know, changing the guard only makes sense if you, you know, change everything. You know, change is only good if it's for the better, too. So if you make a change and you're not improving, what did you really do? Yep. You make the wrong change, your roster is quote unquote built around a certain scheme. Yep. The scheme doesn't work. Now your players get worse because they've got to learn that scheme. That's what we've talked about. How many times are we going to change D coordinators? Right. Right. That's where I feel like the issue is maybe how we're drafting. And, and Carly right here in the chat said, I uh, think that might be because he was so involved in the draft and took ownership of knowing the right information. That's the other thing too. Parcells is always uh, you know, he was tagged with that line. You want me to you want me to uh you want me to cook the dinner, you at least ought to let me shop for the groceries, right? Well, Belichick's always had the ability to shop for the groceries, and he's got six, what, I think it's six Super Bowls, right? I mean, it's worked. I'm not saying everyone is built that way, but this this disconnect, we were supposed to remove that disconnect between general manager and head coach, right? And it's still, to me, it feels like Goody's drafting these high athletic profile guys and, and not really keying in on, okay, what, what makes them great in this specific scheme, that type of thing. Um, yeah. You just kind of fall in love with the, with the athletic ability. And, you know, look, I'm not here to knock him on that. It's just at the same time, you've got to look up eventually and say, you know what, this isn't working. I'm strictly talking about on the defensive side of the ball. Because there's many people, Tim, they'll come in and go, oh, you guys are just saying this because we're having a down season. Nobody complains about it in other years. Tackling has been an issue since Dom Capers. Yeah. 
it's been an issue for a long time, man. Long, you know, it long. speaks to what Mike talks about with GM being such a difficult job in the NFL. Right. Because, you know, half of that job is being a football guy. And you've got to know players. You've got to know talent. You've got to know guys who fit your scheme. Yes, things like RAS are are uh, important when you're doing some analysis. I mean, you're trying to bring a guy into a professional football team based on college football film. So any eval you have on these guys is based on a totally different game with different rules. You know, a lot of guys have to learn the the change of the rules when they come to the NFL. But then the other half of being a GM is the executive side, is the business side. I mean, look at what we have here in Green Bay. We have a two-headed monster. You know, Russ Ball is the business. You know, he's the business side. He's the money guy. And then yeah. you've got Goody, who's kind of the eye, you know, scout team, the, the eye for the talent and who we're bringing in here. And, um, yeah, I think you're right, Clayton. You know, you can only work with the pieces that you have. And if you've got a bunch of pieces here that we've been setting up for this, um, you know, this 3-4 scheme and the, the Fangio quarter style that we're, that we're playing – even if we dump coordinators and coaches and scheme, where does that leave us with the players that we have? And how long would it take to draft and develop and install a four three again down the road? You know, we yeah. could be we could be looking at, you know, pushing our uh, Super Bowl run or or playoff contention down the road another three or four seasons. Yeah. So I think we want to be competitive now. And when I say now, I mean like within the next couple of seasons, we'd like to start seeing some you know, competitive playoff football, but um, yeah, man, it's an uphill battle um, in the trenches right now on the defensive side of the ball, for sure. It really is. And we'll, we'll deep dive on it right now. Actually, uh, Omer in the chat says here, a lot of that, as I said, seems based on what you both say. The bigger problem is the players, not the scheme and the coaches. Um, I mean, there's only so long that you can continue to blame the coaches. Right. And then uh, Nick McSwain said, also firing midseason kind of pointless if you don't have someone lined up. If you don't – not even someone lined up, Nick. You know, I mean, you can find someone in your staff and go, hey, look, you're going to be the interim, right? And everyone knows it's tongue-in-cheek. Just look at Rich Bisaccia. He took the Raiders to the playoffs and still got canned, right? He so, went through that with, with McCarthy yeah, and uh, Philbin took over. Right. So it's one of those things that if you don't have that next guy identified, you know, and, and it does make things awkward, obviously, if you announce, hey, you know, we're going to be parting ways after this season, they go ahead and start the head coaching search. It makes things very difficult in the locker room and everything. It's like, OK, you just got to get that guy out of here. I think the only positive that comes and I'm just kind of spitballing here. I'm trying to play devil's advocate. The only positive that comes from from getting rid of someone in season is you get a jump on that replacement. Right. And uh, that's what they did with Matt LaFleur, if you guys remember. I was totally against the way they treated McCarthy on his way out. Now, one of the positives is you can start that search earlier, right? The whole organization has been put on notice, and it's okay. Let's move forward and find this next regime. When you do it just based around a D.C. or an O.C. or whatever, a little bit different dynamic, I think we would all agree. Um, but uh, we got Cheesehead Murph in here. Good to see you, buddy. Glad you swung through. We're going to get back to the chat here in a minute, guys. Um, what I'm going to do real quick is uh, is look at some of the – let's deep dive this a little bit, okay, because I try to look at it from every angle. You guys know I like PFF. It's not the tell-all, end-all, but I use PFF. I use the SIS data, right, where we can look at the specific statistics. You can you can take it down to just first downs, second and short, second – like you can do all these different things, but every stat you need is pretty much there. So let's start with the PFF run defense. And what I'm – the goal here is 
like Mike Wall said, you know, you don't have that guy at nose tackle. You don't have that interior defensive lineman for 34 defense. You know, like a Tony Saragusa and like he said, a Sam Adams way back in the day with Baltimore. What those guys do in the 34, especially the base, is you're eating space without giving a yard. You know, one of the things that Mike Wall says on his on his show all the time on, on his YouTube channel is – if a defensive lineman gets one yard of displacement, meaning if they push him back one yard, that equals three yards gained for the running back. Just slam dunk, you can count it, right? Um, so in that regard, how are we holding up in the middle? When you had someone like Tony Saragusa or, or Sam Adams, these guys were not only – not only were they holding that point of attack and not getting pushed back, they were moving double teams towards the running back but also controlling two gaps – because in a 34 defense, most of the time, and there's some hybrid top run fits now, but it was designed to say, okay, let's put two 300-plus pounders on the defensive line and have them occupy two gaps, basically meaning if the running back tries to go to this gap, he's big enough he can drag that blocker over into that gap or that gap, and your backers are freed up. It's what they call keeping the backer clean. It's almost like an offensive perspective with a lead blocker in the running game. You're you're a uh, you're freeing up the backers to flow and make the tackle. Now, how did the Packers win with a 34 defense under Dom Capers in 2010, right? And they had that, that great defense. B.J. Raji in the middle, eating two gaps. Remember Ryan Pickett, excellent pickup by Ted Thompson. You, you notice B.J. Raji young, right? Probably he was early 20s when they won the Super Bowl. Ryan Pickett on the backside of his career. This We've we've tricked ourselves into thinking that Brian Gutekunst does everything exactly like Ted Thompson does, and he don't. Like right now, who is the Ryan Pickett on this defensive line? Nobody. Right, you know? And and Kenny's not playing up the snuff, right? Devontae Wyatt's not. T.J. Slayton for such a late-round pick, I'm proud of that dude. He's holding his own, but it's still not good enough. we got to be real about it, right? But here we go. Here's the PFF run defense grade. It's going to be hard to see. I'm going to read it off to you guys. I got to fix the screenshot on my computer. It's just not working the way it's supposed to. So you got a dumb redneck over here trying to figure this out. That's, that's This is what you get. So I sorted it by run defense, and this is interior defenders. Our top interior defender is TJ Slayton in the 49. It actually isn't the 49 spot, but I'm just going to go off of the grades. I mean, it was – it was bad. He's 49th graded overall. Okay. That's what that 49 means. Run defense grade 64.6. All right. You've got to go all the way down to Kenny Clark coming in at a 57.8 run defense grade. He's 65th overall amongst defensive tackles, interior defensive linemen. Then you've got to go all the way down to 57.1 for Devontae Wyatt in run defense. And he's 40th overall in defensive tackles, just overall defensive grades. So you can see these guys are they're they're pass rush, pass rushing interior defensive lines, with the exception of TJ Slayton. And again, TJ Slayton being such a late round pick, man, that's a great, that's a great draft pick. You're you're getting production out of him. That should be your backup nose playing in the 49 spot, you know, especially against a run defense, you know, as you know, from a run defense perspective. So immediately people say, well, PFF doesn't tell the whole story, Clayton. All right, let's look at the stats. Combo tackles for defensive tackles. All right, combo tackle is what we refer to as total tackles. It combines the solo tackles and the assisted tackles and gives you that combo tackle number, right? Kenny Clark is 34th in the league with 25 total tackles, combo tackles. Because it's just not – you're seeing a trend here, right? Like – 
PFF says he's played horrible in run defense. And this isn't new. Like this, we talked about this going into the offseason that, you know, we're talking about two, the last two years he's underperformed, right? And it's, this isn't a knock against him. This isn't us trying to take a shot. This is simply when you dive into what are the run defense problems, this is it. You're, you're losing up front in the trenches, right? And it's why it's so important to understand and give Jordan Love the entire year in case he is the guy, because if he is the guy, now you can focus on this in the draft, right? And we'll talk about some of the prospects in a minute. But again, Tim, combo tackles aren't everything, right? Broken tackles. All right, let's talk about more specifically broken tackle yardage. So this stat basically tells you how many yards a running back gained when this defender, when they broke this defender's tackle and they compile all those yards throughout the season, okay? I sorted it by most broken tackle yards, okay? Basically meaning these are the worst situations in the entire National Football League for an interior defensive lineman, specifically a defensive tackle, of how many times tackles have been broken and the yardage that's gained from those broken tackles. Kenny has the seventh highest, actually tied for the sixth highest, broken tackle yards this season at 28 yards. Like, he is a bottom, a borderline bottom five defensive tackle in the entire NFL in giving up yardage off of his broken tackle. So now some people may say, Tim, well, he shows flashes. What about the good plays when he gets the tackles for loss and things like that, right? Sorted by tackles for loss, Kenny is 33rd in the league with five tackles for loss amongst defensive tackles. So He's not starting quality. This is this is nothing personal. This is strictly by the stats and by the PFF grades. For tackles for loss, he's not starting caliber. Broken uh, broken tackle yardage, he is. I mean, he's right at the very bottom of the league for defensive tackles. Combo tackles, he's not starting caliber. He comes in at thirty four. Run defense grade, according to PFF, he's not starting caliber. As a matter of fact, I think that run defense grade amongst interior defensive linemen put him in the number three spot, like he would be somewhere around a number three defensive tackle. Now, all those are stats, right? PFF grade, PFF's opinion, statistics, right? Specific, specific statistics, talking about what's the big problem, giving up those explosive games in the running game. All right, that's just one. Let's, let's separate the stats. Let's separate the PFF. Mike Wall is saying it. A former offensive lineman is saying you don't have that guy in the middle, right? But, Tim – what do you think about it? I don't mean to be negative. It's just, and this can be a positive, right? We're trying to identify the problems, okay? Because going into this season, this off season, if you don't make a change this year, if you and not, I'm not saying they should cut or trade Kenny. I'm saying if you don't try to improve that situation, then it's another Josiah Aguara, it's another Amari Rogers, it's another situation where our general manager is refusing to accept that. Hey, I may have made a bad mistake here because listen, guys, he doubled down. Kenny Clark's cap hit next year. It's $27.4 million with a dead cap of $24.2, meaning if you cut bait, you're only freeing up $3 million to get rid of a guy that you had $27.4 million tied up in. But, Tim, I'm sorry I've talked a long time there, but what do you think about all that, man? No, I mean, it's disheartening because, like you said, it's not it's not personal. We love Kenny. Kenny's a good dude. Amazing human being. He's huh? a great, great uh, leader in that locker room um, mm-hmm. and a great teammate. Um you know, a guy you want to be around. If you like being around football, you want to be around guys like Kenny Clark. Um, but that is, you know, kind of take that with a grain of salt because 
we know Kenny works hard and we know Kenny takes this seriously and he tries to be an example for some of the younger guys. But then we look at the production and it's just not there. It's just simply not there. And, um, you know, we talked about this offline, you know, having a having a decent nose is pretty vital to a 34 defense. Right. I mean, regardless of what your approach is, you you need that dude in the middle. Um, and yeah, TJ Slayton kind of looks like uh, one of those guys that could be like, um, you know, a late round steal and see how he develops. Um, but uh, I just don't. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I don't know. We haven't seen the, we haven't seen the growth. We haven't seen any changes really to me. This looks a lot like what we saw last year um, out of our front. And uh, you know, the game is won and lost in the trenches. We've lost a lot of games in the trenches this year. Um, You know, Mike talked about that yesterday too. You know, maybe you, you, instead of giving up 200 yards and rushing, you know, maybe you're giving up half of that and you win a ball game, you know, and that would be the definition of the bend, but don't break. I'm sorry if, I mean, you, you're giving up 200 plus yards on the ground, you're, you're breaking and you know, you're not going to win ball games, but you know, there's a lot of things that are going to go into this. You're right. Look at co- contractually. What are we going to do? Kenny Clark's going to be a Packer next year. Um, right. So do we look at um, drafting another person to come in here? Um, or do we look at bringing in a veteran? Do we go to the free agent market? Do we look at bringing in somebody 
you know, veteran level to put on that line with him and, and some of these younger guys, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is, but yeah. you know, I, I would hate to see a quarterback and wide receiver taken in the first or second round when we need offensive and defensive linemen. And again, that's Tim's opinion. I happen to agree with it. My opinion was formed off of reading and studying Bill Walsh, who said wide receiver is the very last piece you put in place. Right. Um, let's go to the chat here. Good, good conversation in here. And then we'll go to maybe some of the top potential prospects in this coming draft at the interior defensive line. Chuck Norris in the chat. I hey, appreciate you. The legend dropping through here. That's pretty cool. Right. Uh, 43 defense has three linebackers and four down linemen. 34 defense is opposite. All right. And then she said, Murph said, uh, we were 4-3 before the Capers hiring. We had a tackling before then. It's not scheme. It's players' execution and mentality. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, like uh, Omer pointed out here, Wyatt doing well with the pass rush, but awful versus the run. You know, Kenny is better at the pass rush this year as well too, right? Um, you could tell that's what they kind of go for for that front, and it's why people are are able to rush on us. You know, it's really that simple. And I think it's, it's why teams run the ball on us. Yeah, exactly. they, know we're, they know that's our strong suit of this defense is the pass rush. Well, let's just pound a run on you all day then. And you've seen the pass rush taper off the last couple of games because I think they were trying to put a little more emphasis on the edge defenders of, hey, look, let's make sure we stop the run first and foremost. And that you just can't you can't play kind of half in and half out. You you got to build your strength and play to your strength. And it just so happens that the strength you've built is a pretty big weakness right now because you you let the pendulum swing to, too far in one direction to where you know you're you're saying okay yeah we want all the pass rushers give us all the pass rushers interior defensive line pass rushers and they're just they're playing booty cheeks against the run right now you know yeah. um let's see here uh Carly tagged Zane and said my understanding is that it's similar to the personnel calls uh for offense but not as interchangeable 34 base you want a huge nose or two big tackles to occupy more space you're spot on there, and and I'm, I'm going to get through the rest of these comments, and I'm going to give a comment on that. Chiefs had Murph said tackling issue before then. Sorry for the edit. All right, got you. Chuck Norris says 43 better at run stopping. Okay, I respectfully disagree, Chuck, and I'll tell you why in just a second. I want to make sure that there was nothing else in here. Um, some other people may mention it in here. If so, I apologize. The comments are already away from me, so <laughs> it's a good thing. I'm glad you all are in here talking for sure. So your comment there, Chuck, 43 better at run stopping. There's probably some people that believe that too, right? I'm not saying I'm right and anyone else is wrong, but the way I always understood understood the 34 uh, the 34 front and going to that defense was it was better at stopping the run actually, and the reason being is because think of it this way: when you run a 43, both defenses. This is why Matt Lafleur chipped that you know chirped at the media the other day. Both defenses. You've got the same – you've got a similar build on the edge, right? If Rashawn Gary was in a 4-3, he'd put his hand in the dirt and he'd be a defensive end, right? Same thing with Preston, okay? But with a 4-3, you've got two interior defensive linemen who are, who, who are bigger, right, the 300-pound bodies typically. In some cases in the, in the late uh, – the early 2000s when I became a football fan – those defensive tackles in a 4-3 were like 280. They weren't even 300 pounds. It was rare you'd get a 300-pounder in a 4-3 defense, right? So the 34 is better at stopping the run because you're actually putting bigger bodies in the middle. You're putting, uh, you know, a 300-plus pounder at nose. You're putting two 300-plus pounders at defensive end. You're having them play two gaps. If you play that jam front, which is a zero tech, right, and then it's a zero tech, 
and then a couple of twos, right? So you're kind of, you're forcing everyone to single block on the front and you're still controlling two gaps with those big bodies. So the 34, I'd say statistically, has been more effective at stopping the run. The problem is when your GM is trying to draft pass rush specialists at those big body defensive lineman positions, meaning the defensive end and the defensive tackle, the nose tackle and the 34, that, that's not a strength of theirs. So they're getting pushed off the ball. You've got extra bodies in the middle, and it just allows teams to, to run all over you, in my opinion. That's the disconnect I see. I'm not saying I'm correct. That's just the way I see it. But I definitely disagree with the 43 being better at run stopping. I feel like the 43 is better at, um, like Mike was saying, getting quicker guys out there off ball to be able to shoot the gaps, right? That makes sense to me, absolutely, especially if you're, you know, like I said, keying in on pass specials at the interior defensive line positions. So there's no like quick, hey, great, this is the, you know, this is the easy fix. There's great defenses in the league that run 43. There's great defenses in the league that run 34. What it comes down to is when the game's on the line, think player, not play, right? Yep. What does Bill Belichick say? Players win them and coaches lose them. Yep. The better team is going to win the ball game if the coaches don't screw it up. Right now, we don't have the better team, and we're finally having to acknowledge that because we don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback carrying the water every single game. Man. Like, it's just – and, and again, I always hesitated to say that because football is the ultimate team sport. When you got people like Mike Wall pointing it out, like, hey, you don't have 12 here, and you don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback covering up the, the problems on offense anymore. Your offense takes a dip. Now defenses can just run the ball, slowly work the ball down the field, knowing – that offense, how many how many defenses come into this game against the Packers team and go, man, I'm really worried about this offense. Aaron right. Jones was the secret weapon, bro. I mean, he is right now, I hate to say it, but it looks like the wall. I hope it's not the case. I hope it's just the injury still holding him back. But, man, it looks like the, looks like the wall might have finally came for our superhero, dude. I love that, dude, so much. Um, so, with that being said, what's coming up in the draft, Tim, right? Let's see what we got here. I just got a quick graph. It might be hard to read. If you can't read it, I can read it to you. Um, anything you got here. So these are the interior defensive linemen in the upcoming draft that sit in the top 50. Guys, you're not going to fix this problem drafting a defensive lineman in the second, third, fourth round. You're not going to get a Jalen Carter in the second, third, or fourth round. If you do, I'm not saying it's not possible. Highly unlikely. Okay, I would rather play our odds here. Let's assume Jordan Love is the guy and we're not looking to get a quarterback, right? If that's the case, here are the top picks. In the number 12 spot, according to the consensus big board, okay, in the number 12 spot, you've got Illinois' Jerzon Newton as the top interior defensive lineman. It drops all the way down to 37 before you get to the next one, which is Leonard Taylor out of Miami. Then you've got Mason Smith out of LSU at 46. Then at 48, you got Chris Jenkins out of Michigan. And then 53, you got Michael Hall Jr. out of Ohio State. So you've got four, uh, five guys that have kind of separated themselves in this coming draft. Guys, this can change dramatically. Don't get me wrong, right? I like to key in on this information. I make sure my draft board is the majority of the way done before the combine because people absolutely fall in love with these guys when they're running around in their underwear inside on turf with no pads, right? I want to know how did people feel when they were out there with pads on playing in a, in a competitive game. But, Tim, what this says is Jerzon Newton out of Illinois is hands down the best interior defensive line coming up in this draft. He peaked at the number eight spot and is currently sitting in the 12th spot. Uh, what do you think here, man? How do you how do you see this draft uh, 
early, obviously, when we go into the draft, how are we going to try to attack this to fix the interior defensive line? Well, I think you hit it right on the head when you when you put this graphic up. You know, I, I don't care which one of these guys we end up with. Hopefully, hopefully we do grab um, a D lineman here um, early ish in the draft. But these guys are draft and develop, too. There's there is absolutely no reason to believe that, you know, drafting one of these guys is going to suddenly fix the the problem with our defensive front. So you're you're going to another project. You're you're gonna you're gonna work with another one of these guys, and you're gonna hope that you see production and uh, you know better performance as they go into their you know second and third years um, in the NFL, uh, which is kind of like what we had with Kenny. You know, he, mm-hmm. he kind of we saw an ascent, and then I I don't know as of these last couple of years we've kind of seen him, you know, plateau. I'm, I don't know about hit the wall, but kind of kind of just leveled off um but what you're looking for at that position is execution and consistency and i think what we see with kenny is we see execution we just don't see consistency and um that could be an issue across the board here for a lot of our guys but when it comes to the draft you know i'd like to get excited i I get excited all the time when we draft these guys (laughs) um but there's you never ever know you know you just don't know and it's a crapshoot man yeah, it's a crapshoot. And you have to understand that no matter who it is, you're, you still have to put development in. And there are still guys that when the chips are down and it's all said and done, some guys cannot, they they can't get over that hump to the NFL level and, and the, the speed and the ferocity of this game compared to the college level. I mean, they're all big boys, but man, they're the biggest of the big and the strongest of the strong when you're in the National Football League. And it's a it's a big difference when you're going up against a guy who's, you know, selling lumber at Home Depot now versus a guy that, you know, is uh, going to have a 12 to 14 year NFL career uh, playing at a high level. So, you know, that's a big thing. And this defense, especially the front, is not going to get fixed just by a mere draft pick or two, you know, there has got to be that in in conjunction with a lot of other things, but uh, at least there's a good group of of, uh, defensive linemen there uh, to pick from. You know, I look at some of those uh, programs they're coming out of, you know, the Ohio state university comes to mind a couple of, uh, you know, defensive minded schools. So Mm -hmm. maybe picking from that crop gives us a, a head start and a leg up, but, uh, Time will tell, Clayton. Time will tell. I don't think there's a magic magic draft solution to this, but there are pieces that could get us uh, trending in the right direction, though. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when I mentioned Kenny is a pass rush specialist, it, it is worth noting that according to PFF, he's the 48th highest graded pass rush, pass rush grade amongst interior defensive linemen. So, the you know, we're not talking about him even being starting caliber as it sits right now, according to PFF again. Whether you put stock in that or not, it's another metric we can look at, right? So uh, it's tough, man. But, I mean, the, the problem has been identified for two years now. I actually mentioned on another podcast, I won't say the the podcast host's name, but I mentioned in their chat, I said, uh, how much, what do you, what kind of money do you think Kenny Clark is actually worth based off of his performance? And I said it very respectfully. And he went, Kenny's worth whatever Kenny wants. That's what he said. I was like, what the hell? Okay, we're done with this pot. I want to follow this guy. All right, just because his name? Are you serious? Um, Kristen in the chat said, Clayton, please, do, please don't say Aaron Jones is booty cheeks. Chris N., you will never hear me say Aaron Jones is booty cheeks. Man, that guy's a national treasure. 
that dude, I mean, that's the part that bothers me is, and I know the Goody lovers will hate this, but put yourself in, put yourself in Aaron Jones's shoes. You're coming down the stretch. You want a ring. You took a pay cut to come back. You're like, I'll do Hey, I imagine that conversation with Goody was, listen, yeah, I'm cool with taking less money. I just want to be here. Like I, I want, I want to help us win a championship. I want to win one here in Green Bay. And Goody just strips it all down. Like guys, that that's not cool. Like if anything, the Packers should go to Aaron Jones and go, hey, listen, step and work. You got one or two good years left. Where where would you give me give me your top three choices? You know, and let's see if we can get a little bit of compensation and do what's right because. This is what Aaron Rodgers was talking about, guys, in 2021 when he said, I don't want to be a lame duck quarterback. This exact moment right now is what he was talking about. And you can approach it two ways. You could say, I want out, I want to trade, or, hey, can we can we try something different? Because he sees the roster declining, right? I mean, that's just – I don't know how anyone can look at it any other way and say, no, Aaron was just being selfish. Aaron didn't know what he's talking about. Aaron isn't a GM. Aaron, it's okay. Everything he said was going to happen is happening right now, right? And I'm going to be here watching every game, breaking it down and all that, but if you see it, you got to say it. Yeah. I was right. There's no two ways about it. Devontae Adams was right. Like, he looked up and like, you, you're you not going to pay me what I was worth. And immediately people are going, well, Clayton, what else could they do? What, what else could they do with their current salary cap situation? Guys, we've got to stop pretending like that's why they didn't. Well, we just we exhausted everything and just didn't work out, guys. They offered Devontae Adams more money than the Raiders in the last hour. So if they were able to make him the highest paid wide receiver in the game, how in the hell can we sit here and look each other in the eye and say, nope, we're just out of cap space? Right. You can't have it both ways. The last offer that was made to him should have been the first offer. Exactly, and he would be here. Yep. And you would have Jordan Love. We would have a true evaluation of Jordan Love, too, wouldn't we? We'd be going, hey, look, that's the best receiver in the game right there. Like, yeah. if you can't if you can't win with him and some other young pieces, then, you know, it's a bad And look. I got to think a guy like Tay Adams, you know, would be coaching Jordan Love up here, too, on some of these throws. You know what I mean? Oh like, God. you'd have a veteran receiver that's like, hey, man, I need this one back shoulder, mm-hmm. um, and you're, you're not throwing it back shoulder. Or, hey, I need this one in space, you're, you're putting it on my hip. I need it out in front of me. You know, these kind of things um, that you're not going to get out of a second year or a rookie rider, wide receiver necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I'm sure there's chemistry. I'm sure guys communicate, but you know, experience in that, in that position. And then the feedback to uh, a first year starter at quarterback is priceless. And um, you know, we talked about this yesterday a little bit too, you know, yeah. Another veteran leader gone. So now, Here's the team that we have, you know, it really shouldn't shock us that we're where we are this year. It really shouldn't. I think um, I was a little bit higher on the guys going into the year because I fan with my heart too much. But, um, you know, I think we're going to we're definitely on pace for for that six wins at the most mark, probably at this point, barring some uh, miracle win streak or something. So um, but yeah, man, I I totally agree. And with Jonesy. You know, what is what is the productive shelf life of the average running back in the National Football League now anyway? Um, 
And so that's that's why, like you said, it's not a personal thing. You know, we love Aaron Jones. We're we're not knocking Aaron Jones at all. We're just saying, hey, it is what it is. What season is he in now? This is his seven, something like that. Yeah, season. Uh, okay, yeah. so like six or seven years for a running back is actually pretty impressive. And you look at the 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 consistent production he had for so many years. Of course, as we get to this part in his career, we're going to see a dip. Um, but we've also seen a dip in targets too. You know, we, we've That's talked about that. We've talked about that, you know, and maybe it's, it's going to take more targets or more touches for him to get it going at this point in the career. You know, like, how is he going to get hot if we're, you know, he's getting 13 touches a game? I don't I don't know how that works, but it's we're, we're between a rock and a hard place right now. You know, yeah. we're going to go roadhouse again. It's going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> going to go roadhouse again. <laughs> Roadhouse. Right. Um, so since you were talking about the running backs, let's just let's skip over Keyshawn for a second and go to the running backs. You know, there's people that that, you know, I'm one of them. I'm the biggest Aaron Jones fan. That's one of my I know the trees covering it up right now. But one of my favorite jerseys is right over there. Aaron Jones is one of my favorite players all time. Right. Um, big, big fan of Jonesy and his family and them serving in the military and just the way he carries himself. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. He's he's not out there disrespecting people or being all about me, me, me. Family matters to him. The team matters to him. He took a pay cut. Everything you want in a great player, right? Well, let's look at, you know, kind of how they've performed, they being Jones and Aaron uh, and A.J. Dillon. Yards per carry, okay? A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones are both tied for 34th in the league in yards per attempt, okay? Now, the run blocking has been bad. I don't think it's just the offensive line isn't run blocking good. I think there's been a lot of scheme things and things being too complex at times, being too predictable while being complex. That's the worst thing. The illusion of simplicity, right? I'm sorry, the illusion of complexity, but keeping things simple is kind of what this offense was built around. To me, you've seen the opposite. You've seen – the illusion of simplicity, and it was just everything was so complex, our offensive line couldn't even block, right? But I think they're bad run blockers, too, because we draft for what? I mean, it's common knowledge now. You look at – we got one of the best pass-blocking offensive lines in the league, right? We got one of the worst run blocking, according to PFF. It shows you how we're drafting. Again, this draft mentality of Brian Gutekinds is, on defense, we want pass rush. On offense, we want pass blocking. All right. The problem is the pendulum has swung so far in that opposite direction. Like we said, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but it's the truth. You're not keying in on run defense. You're not keying in on run blocking enough. Right. But 3.7 yards of carry. What does PFF say? According to PFF, Aaron, or AJ Dillon is the 24th highest graded running back in the league. Now, keep in mind, last year and the year before, AJ Dillon was in the top 10, maybe even the top five, according to PFF. He's dropped all the way down to 24th at 71.5. And then you've got to go all the way down the 50th. I'd have to drop the banner here to see Aaron Jones. But Aaron Jones is the 50th highest graded player, I think, at a 61.8. So the production has dropped off both according to PFF and the yards per carry you're seeing on the field. Um, just not working out in the run game. And, and I think it has just as much, if not more, to do with how they're blocking up front. I pretty sure, I feel real comfortable saying Mike Wall agrees with that because there was when A.J. Dillon was catching heat about stumbling in the backfield, he was highlighting the hole that wasn't there and how he was trying to adjust like, holy crap, this that hole's supposed to be open. 
And not only is it closed, there's a guy one yard in the backfield already, right? So, um, far as that, you see the you see the death spike as a running back because that's when you the feet get planted, right? Right. You get to you 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 see you're supposed to have a seam or a or a hole or an opening, and it's not there, and you get that my feet are planted, and now I got to try and make a move. And in the NFL, if you're doing that behind a line of scrimmage, you're dead. You are dead. You're going to be tackled for a loss, and that's what we've been seeing. Absolutely. Carly Ray in the chat says, I still want to know why DeGuaro was blocking for kicks from his knees during the Vikings game. Um, I tried to ask Mike Wall about it. Like, hey, you know, and I specifically said the extra point because I knew you asked this, Carly. I was trying to get a little bit out of him there. Like this last game, you know, the blocked extra point. Like what was DeGuaro doing? Because he was just kind of let the guy run by him. He didn't he didn't help Chip here at all. And the guy went by him and he just kind of touched him on the shoulder. And Mike's answer was, I don't know, Clayton. I, I didn't even watch that rep. Like, he, he's so keyed in on other things, and, you know, rightfully so. He's an offensive lineman trying to key in on, you know, what's going on offensive defense. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a tough look. But, yeah, I would like to know that too, Carly Ray. Something's off there. To me, the the answer is, I'm sorry, you're not going to convince me that the coaching staff was like, DeGuire, listen, if they come around the edge, just don't worry about it. Just let them go. That's, that's not a thing. Right. You know, so, it's like more of the same trend because all the things we just said about Jones, all the things we said about Kenny Clark, and we say these things about Josiah DeGuara. Josiah DeGuara is a good dude. You know, he's a good dude. He's a good teammate. He's a good person off the field. Um, but then we look at the tape and we don't get the production. We don't get the simple things. I'm scratching yeah. my head here right now because I'm almost wondering, like, do we stop drafting good dudes and do we just bring in some Dogs. Filthy McNasty dogs. Jalen Garters. Yeah. Like give me give me uh a little bit of an edge um in this, you know, because I believe we can harness that. If you have a guy that's got a little bit of a rough around the edges, we can make guys like that fit in here. You know, yeah. title town is unique um to the sport. And uh, you know, but I just feel like we got I don't know, is it do we have too many nice guys? Do we have too many you know, just great, great community guys, great teammate guys, which is, don't get me wrong, that's super important. But man, yeah, yeah, you're in the trenches, man. You gotta, you gotta knock someone on their butt, man. You gotta, you gotta play with a certain, certain fire. And, you know, if we're staying on Deguara, I'm not seeing that. If I was 81, man, I would be so, I would be shaking with excitement at my chance to hit somebody, especially on a field goal or in special teams. And I just don't see it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Coach Monk says, uh, bring in the dogs, LOL. Um, you know, like Jalen Carter, immediately people, when I mention that name, they say, well, Clayton, he was gone before they picked. I'm so sick of that excuse, guys. Like, it, it, when you identify a generational talent, you need to go get them if it's possible. Where do we pick? 13th? Am I thinking right where we took Van Ness? Was it 13th? 11th. 11, was it 11? Wow. Didn't we go from 13 to 11? We may have in that deal. Now, regardless, what I'm saying is, why would you not be willing to jump Philly at ten and get to nine and take Jalen Carter? I'm pretty sure they took him at ten. I may be wrong. If I am, correct me in the chat, guys. But why not jump up there and get someone like that? Philly, we were focused on edge, right, Clayton? Edge rusher. It's it's it, man. It's what it comes down to. And and I love Lucas Van Ness. I think he's going to be a great player. I think I think is he. They mold this ball of clay. That's what we always hear, right? But why did we not? Why were we not willing to trade up and get someone like a Jalen Carter? 
right? Someone that's a dominant interior defensive lineman that can play the run and the pass. It's working out for Philly. Philly did it two years in a row. They took uh, Jordan, whatever his name was, Jordan, I can't remember, out of Georgia the year before. One of, he was the 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 freak, right, at the combine. It was like this guy can play the, the run, the pass. He's crazy quick for how big he is. This is the guy we need in the middle. They did it. It worked. They doubled down this year and traded – or I don't know if they traded up, but they took another one. They definitely didn't trade up. They were sitting in the 10 spot. And took Jalen Carter, another Georgia defensive lineman, that's just a dog, right? We settled for – a Devontae White a little later in the draft, you know, the year before, right? That's kind of where, okay, well, he's great at pass rush, though. Okay, cool. Maybe we can make him a run, run stuff or didn't happen. But why do we not trade up? Because we value those draft picks so much. You Oh, you can't give up those picks. No, sir. We value them so much that you trade the leader in the locker room and your best defensive back this year, right? And you trade them away to get a fourth-round value. Like, I'm sorry, that's that's malpractice. Like, you've got a proven commodity at a really good rate, like Mike has pointed out, other people have pointed out. Like, you know, his cap hit, we save $6.5 next year is what we save by trading. If I understood correctly, 6 and a half after the penalties, what we, what we picked up by trading Russell, all right? And what do you lose and what do you gain? You gain $6.5 right? Mike Wall was like, that's not even starting caliber cornerback money. Like, the top right. corners in the game, he was playing like a top 10 corner. He had a bad game right before they traded him. I got you. That drops the grade down quite a bit. People were tagging me the other day during the Buffalo game. They're tagging me on Twitter going, look at Rasul out here. I think he recovered a fumble or something, making a difference, right? Sucks for him, too. They trade him away to Buffalo, and he's thinking, right, at least Sewell can go compete for a Super Bowl. Now they're falling on their face offensively. It's like, that sucks for him, right? But of course, he was he was in tears in the locker room when they traded him, right? That's yeah. what Aaron Jones said. I know he wasn't in the building. Yeah. Aaron Jones I said Rasul was just so you know when we when we got him because let's not forget that that was a power move by Goody there. You know, an yeah. absolute steal of a signing. Um, and I think Rasul just was so proud to be a Packer. I think he he was just one of those guys that just loved being a Packer. He he completely uh, assimilated when he got here. And quickly became a leader. And I think that's why it was so uh, devastating um, to a lot of us and to a lot of the teammates, too, and probably to Rasul that, you know, his heart was in Green Bay. But he understands it's a business. But I think you're absolutely right. What did we really accomplish? Now, I've always said I think the Rasul deal speaks more about our faith in our other corners than it does about necessarily Rasul. And that kind of lends to the same thinking you've always said. Goody doesn't want to get away from guys that he drafted. We we have a, you know, you, he drafts some players. He wants to, he wants to stick with them. He wants to see at least see them. And here here we are. We've got some rookie corners now that are going to get some playing time. You know, it's kind of par for the course with our with our GM. It just feels like there's so much ego involved, and I could be wrong. I've never met the guy. You know, I shouldn't be sitting here judging him in that regard. But I mean, like. You refuse to admit you make mistakes with your draft picks, right? And then you pick Rasul Douglas up off the scrap heap and you trade him for essentially a fourth round, you know, value. And I say that because, you know, they got a third, but they gave up a fifth, which kind of balances out to a fourth round value. And everyone's like, oh, boy, the Goody doing Goody thing, man. He Look how he flipped that. 
that's a great positive. This isn't the stock market. You're trying right. to win football games, right? right? <sighs> Look at building that. a team, not collecting talent. Bingo, bingo. And you know it's tough, man. Like Creed says here in the chat, hindsight's twenty twenty. But we could have definitely traded up in the first round of twenty two draft and taken Jordan Davis out of Georgia. Definitely could have also traded up in twenty three and taken Jalen Carter. And this is what's crazy. He was number one on my board as well. Uh, Creed says Carter was the consensus number one overall player and has played as such. Imagine having Carter and Davis up front with Kenny. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I don't know why you got to do this to me, bro. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like, And listen, I was a big Devontae Wyatt guy when they picked him. He was the best on my board, and there was many people saying he's too old, don't take him. I'm like, hey, I think Devontae Wyatt's good at what he does, right? So mm – -hmm. You know, where he was picked, I got it. My argument is, why are we not being more aggressive to fix these spots? How did we get Clay Matthews? We traded up. Yep. And I'll never forget, you can you can find this on YouTube. I can't remember who said it, but somebody said, it might have been, uh, I know where I heard it. If you guys will go watch the Legacy documentary on the Packers YouTube page. Excellent documentary. It's like a, I don't know, like a five, six, seven part series. It is so good. On that segment there where uh, the part where they're talking about the 2010 run, um, I think it was Bob Harlan that might have said it. Somebody said that Ted Thompson basically said, um, I want I want Clay Matthews. I want the player is what he said, right? I want that player. And they said, well, it's going to take this, this, and this to trade up and get him. And he snapped his head around at him and said, I want the player. Like when you you got a conviction on that's the guy we need to turn this defense around, right? You're willing to give up draft capital to go get them. Those are the things he's not doing. It's just kind of, you know, and, yep. and extending his guys, right? Like, again, I'm going to pull up this cap, and, and this isn't to to try to knock on Kenny Clark, but, I mean, look at the cap hits, guys. David Bakhtiari, right, your draft pick that you extended. I love how people like to blame David Bakhtiari, like, oh, he's soft, he's fragile, all these things, all right? Well, do you not blame the general manager that gave him the extension at that age? Is he just off the hook, right? I think it was the right move because Bach is one of the best left tackles to ever play the game. He would have been a – I think he would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer 
had he not got hurt here toward the end of his career. That's just me personally. But his cap hit next year is $40.4 million. Kenny Clark's is $27.4 million. Guys, he's, he's not even playing starting caliber run defense. He's not even playing number one defensive tackle pass rush, right? The statistics show it. The PFF grades show it. Everything across the board, the tape shows it. $27.4 million against the cap. Like, that's tough. That's tough. Aaron Jones, $17.7 million against the cap next year, right? And you can cut him and free up $5 million roughly. Um, but, again, I think he's going to be willing to restructure and come back. He's just that kind of guy. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, again, you've got your draft picks that you're not willing to, you know, part ways with or or not not even part ways with. I'm not saying we should cut Kenny. I'm simply saying you got to change up your drafting philosophy a little bit if we're going to sure up this run defense. The easy answer for everyone is, because we love the players, just fire Joe Barry. Joe Barry's a problem. It's like, all right. Dom Capers was the problem. Mike Pettin was the problem. Now Joe Barry's the problem. And yeah. why are we still where we were all of those years? You know, if that were true, if that were true, why are we why are we still struggling with tackling? Why are we still struggling with run defense? Yeah. You know, players got to play, man. Yeah. And, you know, many people in here kind of – I don't want to say they're dog, they're not dogging on Bach, but they're kind of – you can tell the chat is, you know, it's time to move on from Bach. If he's not willing to lower that cap hit and get him somewhere in the 33 million range and he can't prove that he's healthy, if those two things don't line up, I completely agree. Free up that 20 million and move on. Let him go sign with the Jets and play with Aaron. That's probably what'll happen, right? So uh yeah, it is what it is. But anyway, I thought we would dive into all that stuff. Let me let's end it on some positive right here. I thought this was cool, Tim. It's caught me off guard. I, I briefly mentioned it yesterday. Uh, Wes Hockowitz put this tweet out and said, kind of wild stat on Keyshawn Nixon, the current NFL leader with 26.4 yards per kickoff return. Nixon has 502 kickoff returns this season. Only two other kick returners have more than 300. That's New Orleans' uh, Rashid Shahid, say that three times fast, and Washington's Antonio Gibson in 10 games each. So Keyshawn Nixon, it kind of feels like, oh, he hasn't broke one. It's down year. People are kicking away from him, first of all. He's still leading the league in kick returns, guys. That's that's awesome, right? That's a positive. You got that shirt up. I don't like him at nickel. I was on board with that experiment. It hasn't worked out, right? The dropped interception on Sunday, that pretty much – I don't want to say any one play cost us the game, but I think we all feel comfortable saying that right there sets the tone for the entire game. That was the opening – was that the opening drive? No, it was maybe the second or third drive. It was Ooh. early in the game. Like – let him kick return, let him punt return, and we need to find another nickel. I know this, Brian Branch would have been nice. Yep. But, again, like like one of the listeners said, hindsight's twenty twenty. But, again, if we're just going to agree with everything Goody does and not point out, hey, here's the negative aspect of how he's drafting, here's the negative aspect of the roster, here's where we're coming up short, why the hell are we doing a podcast? Right. Yeah. So you got to point these things out and do it as respectfully as you can. It's just Goody's uh, – how would you how would you describe Brian Gutekunst's legacy? We'll end it with this. The people that are going, no, he's a great GM. Okay, you've got to write the story for Brian Gutekunst. You've got to make a case for him being a contributor in the Hall of Fame. Let's do it that way. What's his resume look like? What are the top three things he's done? This is what McAfee was pointing out, Tim. Like, what would be the top three things that you would say, well, here he, he did this, he did this, he did this. Let's just say Packers Hall of Fame. Right. We're trying to put a resume together for him to go into the Packers Hall of Fame. And I'm genuinely asking, what were those what would those three things be? 
You know, uh, drafting Jair Alexander, that's one, right? Solid corner, although he's underperformed this year. It's bad year to make that argument, but I think we would agree that was a good pick. Rashawn Gary, right? Good pick. Um, what else is? You know what I mean? Like Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed. Yeah, if they pan out, right? I mean, they're, right. they're tracking too, man. They are tracking for sure. Yep. Um, I want to say, man, look at how good he's been in free agency, picking up Rasul Douglas. Yeah, trade him away for a fourth round. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, man. But like Mike said, and you said earlier too, Tim, GM's a tough thing to that's a tough job, man. You gotta be cold hearted. You gotta wear two hats, man. You gotta be a football guy, and then you gotta be you gotta have the suit on, you know, and you gotta be the executive. And you know how that is, man. You you own businesses, Clayton. You know how that is. You're you know, you're a blue collar guy, but then but you're a white collar guy at the same time, you know, and then the blue collar guys are gonna give you hell and then white collar guys are going to give you hell you have to walk this line you know and it's tough i'm not absolving goody at all you know there were many many seasons that i that i was not a goody apologist but you know i kind of supported rgm and some of the moves he had to make but now you you look at where we're at now where we're heading i don't know man i don't know i i, I can't what would you give him as a grade you know, mm-hmm. the, the heck with Hall of Fame, because you just said what he said, come up with the three best things. I started scratching my head right away. <laughs> it's me, man. I mean, like, so what about your grade overall in his time since he's he's taken over as GM? Yeah. You know, I don't think you give the guy an F, you know, and you certainly don't give him an A. Right. So we're teetering around that. You know, I don't know. Am I like a C minus maybe? You know, I'm like somewhere in the middle with him. Yeah. The, the answer like I always say, when people ask you a question, the first thing that comes to mind is the answer. You're just trying to refuse to accept it, you know? And as you asked that question, C was what popped up in my mind. Yeah. I almost went, I, I thought C and then went, maybe a C plus, and I went, maybe a C minus. That's what I was thinking in my mind. <laughs> it's probably a C, man. I mean, listen, it's about winning championships. And you, you got your team, the team was in a position, right? And this is what McAfee kind of pointed out is like, when he said this team was in place, he was talking about, Aaron Rodgers was already in place. Devontae Adams was already in place, right? Now you move on from those two pieces and the team turns the booty cheeks. This is your team. Like this is, you're the one making these decisions. Um, That's why I don't get mad at McAfee for saying that, you know, it's like. That's why I I feel for guys like Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry and Basaccia and the staff, because those guys are going to get, they're going to get the boot before Goot. So. You don't mean to rhyme. Don't mean to rhyme, but we do it all the time. There it is. <laughs> Just a couple, couple white boys in here with no rhythm whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah. With that being said, though, man. Um, yeah, I, I just want to point out what I feel like are the facts. I don't want it to turn into we're not we're not ever allowed to criticize the front office. Um, you listen to other shows like like uh, Jason Wildey's show, and and when they have you know like Wildey and Tausch, Tausch is. Uh, is less quick to blame Brian Gutekunst is kind of the feel I get. Maybe other people disagree. Wildy is like, listen, this is this is on the GM. He chose to do this. He chose to trade away the quarterback. He chose to not give him any input. He chose to trade away Devontae Adams, piss Devontae Adams off, then have to trade him. Um, he chose all these things. He feels like it's more on Goody. And Towser is like it's more on – the coaching staff is kind of the vibe I get, but I think of recently Tausch has started to kind of bend back towards 
odd. I see your point on the general manager, but this is really, why Omer always says fire them all, right? Because he wants yeah. them all. He want just get rid of them all. Then, <laughs> right? <laughs> I want to say I want to ask you guys. Dan Orlovsky said something the other day. Now, listen, I'm not starting a rumor, okay? I, I maybe we need to key up the conspiracy music. I don't know. Oh, but Dan Orlovsky on the McAfee show the other day said. You know, there's rumors coming out that that Bill Belichick and the Patriots are going to part ways. Immediately, people are going, oh, no, here comes the Belichick talk. They said they're going to part ways, right? Um, Dan said, yeah, I heard that, and I've actually heard the specific place he's going to go in coaching GM. And Pat went. What? Just like you did. He went, what? And he's like, I ain't, I'm not saying who told me that. I'm not saying who told me that. And, and, and I think Dan is a stand-up guy. Dan's not one of those guys. He makes some – some crazy predictions, and he's very, 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 very quarterback friendly. I got you on that. That's definitely something that that's true. But he's he kind of said, great guy, yeah, yeah. He's not one of those guys. It's like let me go out here and lie and stir it up. Right. He's just not one of those dudes. But he said, you know, I heard where he's most likely going, and he wouldn't say. Could you imagine if the Patriots decide to part ways, and? Bill Belichick, it would have to have already been a, an agreement to come to a place like Green Bay. So it's highly, highly, highly unlikely. But imagine if he did. The one, the team that popped up to me is the L.A. Chargers. That's what I was like. I, I think it might be the Chargers. Mm-hmm. But Bill loves the Northeast, too. He loves Nantucket. It could be the Giants, too. That's a team that he's got a lot of respect for. Hates the Jets, loves the Giants. That's been Bill's you know, thing all along, and the Giants do suck. So when he, when he said it, I immediately went. Could it be Green Bay? Could it be Green? Would you welcome that, Tim? Because uh, to me, he's had total control of New England, and ever since Brady left, and I'm not saying Brady's the reason that he has the rings. I'm not saying that. I think it was both of them early in his early in Brady's career. They were leaning on that defense because Brady was, you know, I don't want to say bad, but he was not. He was not the reason they were winning games, right? Yeah, you go the other way around. Brady is Brady be- a lot because of Belichick. Absolutely. You don't they believe both- me? Just pull up Brady's draft photo. That's yeah, <laughs> if they they both needed each other, and they've both been on the record saying that. Yep. But as much as I love Belichick, I don't think I want him in Green Bay. Although having him walk at the sidelines of Lambeau Field, the greatest head coach of all time, in a place where Vince Lombardi coached, would be just whoa. But it with kind of, Matt Lafleur as your play caller, stays oh. on as OC. It would <laughs> never happen. <laughs> but yeah, I just don't. I can't get on board with it. I feel no. like the game has finally passed Bill by, and it sucks. Do you think? Do you think Bill retires? You think that's an option before he's before he's terminated or any of that? He just you know goes out like a you know rides off into the sunset like a cowboy and just hangs it up. You got rumors. They're rumors, but you got rumors saying he's he's going to continue coaching, and then you got Danny O say, "Hey." I've already heard where he's probably going to go. So if I had to put money on it, you know, how we answer most questions (laughs) on here is if I had to bet the farm, it would probably be on, he's going to continue coaching just based off what I've heard, you know, but uh, yeah, anyway. um, Yeah. That's what it, uh, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's fascinating conversation. And that's the conversations you have when your team is uh, not, not playing right. Right. I'm totally with you, Clayton, though. Like, could, that would be a, a sweet deal, man. Just like, you know, that level, that caliber of coach, you know, right? We have that. He have loves that, Green Bay, too. Loves yeah. Him. You know, like, he's in that category, right? You put Belichick in that category with 
Madden and Bill Walsh and, you know, like our greatest, greatest coaches. So to see him come to the greatest franchise in all of sports would be wild. And man, can you imagine a media frenzy? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, or or like, uh, yeah, but you know, we're we're blowing smoke. None of this is going to happen. Yeah. Somebody will cut this. I'm, I'm confident saying that. I 100 predict that will not happen. Yeah, for sure. I don't. I don't see it happening either. There's no way. Um, again, it's too far away from Nantucket. He loves Nantucket. Um, that's why I was going hmm, New York. That makes sense, right? Um, yeah. A couple of teams there on the East Coast that would make more sense than obviously Green Bay. Um, but yeah, I just I feel like the game unfortunately has passed them by and it sucks. So I want to give a special shout out. Um, C Dub Irving says, "Can I get a birthday shout out, Corey from Ohio? Corey in Ohio, you got to be careful with these uh, birthday shout outs. I don't know if you guys have seen the clips where people put them out there and they don't actually read what is said and they've got it spelled out to where it's something derogatory and then they go, oh crap, <laughs> and cut the <laughs> cut the telecast. But shout out to Corey in Ohio, happy birthday." Um, said, love listening to the podcast with UTA. We appreciate you being in here, man. We really thanks do. for listening. Happy birthday, man! Yeah, I like this right. Nick McSwain said he'd make the the beat reporters cry. Bill does not play with the media, man. It's hilarious. You think Lafleur is hard on the media? You watch Bill after a loss, boys. It's ugly. You watch Bill uh, after a win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same dude. Yeah. Um, Coach Monk with the uh, Super Chat. Thank you so much, buddy, uh, for supporting the stream. He said, you guys do a great job with the show. Hey, thank you for the kind words, Coach. Appreciate you swinging through. Appreciate that, yeah. Um, yeah, man, absolutely. We uh, we enjoy what we do, man, because we're getting here just to chop it up with you guys, and now we're up to doing it two and sometimes three times a day, which is a lot of fun for sure. Um, yeah, Omer in the chat, PTA Posse always rocking the house. Uh, God Laughs says um, Belichick was still a cheater even if he is, quote, the greatest. Um, yeah. You ain't cheating, you ain't playing. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Just like down here in the South, they say, if you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing, right? Um, I'm just telling you, man, that's uh, that. what happened to Bill has gone on all across the league, both yeah. with Spygate and with the deflating of the footballs. Ask Aaron Rodgers about Aaron Rodgers is like, this is common knowledge. People move move the, the uh, pressure of the ball around. He said, I actually like the ball to be overinflated. We push the envelope on the overinflation side because I've got large hands. I can spin it better. It's better in the weather for me. So I think I think a lot of that cheating stuff is overblown. But yep. I know there are some people that see that and they go, "Yeah, that just seems grimy." I'm, I told you, I'm that dude that got thrown out of a, a baseball game for throwing dirt in somebody's eyes, sliding into second base. Man, I'm <laughs> I, I'm not proud of it, but I've got to be real. I was part of the game, right? Yeah. When you're There's always a workaround. You got you got to do everything you can, everything you can to try to. Remember when they got the pitchers with the the substances in baseball, and so oh, yeah. what did they do? That now they just you know, well, I'll just wipe my forehead and yeah. then I'll get the ball and I'll get my sweat off my forehead onto the ball and then I can I got a little bit of Vaseline here in my waistband. I can stick my hand there. There's yeah. always a workaround. It's part of the game, man. You know, right? Absolutely. Right? You bend, bend but don't break. Right? If you're all out breaking the rules, you're going to get exposed. But if you're walking that line and you're you're Bennett. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Look at it's our like, game. There's a hold on every play. Yeah. On every single play. Is it called on every play? Of course not. No. Yeah. And you just got to kind of, you got to find that balance. You got to find the t- integrity within the game. But again, there was multiple teams that were filming practices. So, um, yep. 
probably all of them, to be honest with you. It's like what's going on in Michigan right now. Now, it, it sounds like what happened is some people got their panties in a bunch because Michigan created a perfect system for organizing it. And they're like, that's over the top. But it's funny you hear someone like, you know, uh, Kirby Smart down in Georgia, and he's like, I don't think it's a big deal. But, yeah. of course, that's the guy who's winning all the national championships. <laughs> when yeah. people are losing well, it, that's, that's, like, that's why Bill and, and the Patriots caught so much heat because they were – they were winning. They were on top of the mountain. And, you know, there's only one place to go when you're up there. Right, guys? Yeah, no doubt. Let's get out of here, Tim. I want to thank everybody. Um, you guys are awesome. We went way over. The goal for Good Morning Lambo is 40 minutes, just so you guys know. <laughs> we, we do enough content for two episodes every time. But when the chat's rolling, man, you guys are awesome. I want to give a special shout-out to Coach Monk for the super chat. Also, Corey, happy birthday. Uh, thank you all for hanging out in here. Uh, the posse was out in full force this morning. It's going to be a long day. Um, I'm going to be back at, uh, I think I said 2 p.m. Eastern, so around 1 p.m. Central to do chalk talk from the previous game. I think we got like 13, 14 plays, something like that. 15, I think is what I said along. Um, it, it always grows. But, uh, Tim, you're welcome to join me if you want. Just I, you know, like I always say, man, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of me rambling, and you'll probably be just sitting there nodding your head, and I don't want to put you through that. But uh, anyone, you know, like I said, you and Emilio, you, you guys are welcome to join me if you want anytime I do that. So we'll be back then for that, and then we'll be back for Packers Total Access Live tonight at 7 Central, 8 Eastern. Um, that will be uh, – we're going to have Paul Brettel on tonight. He's going to straighten us out and give us all the facts rather than what me and Tim get in here and, and think we drum up in our own head. But um, <laughs> that'll be our Packers Insider tonight, Paul Brettel. So – Thanks to everyone in the chat. Like I said, special thanks to the, the Super Chat there. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. Keep in mind the cup. Had the diesel rolling this morning. All right, so everybody have a great day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go.